Welcome to New Books and Biography. I'm Oline Eaton. In the early 1830s, Eugenie Luce fled her husband and abandoned her family and moved to Algeria, where she became a major figure in the debates around educational politics and founded the first French school for Muslim girls in Algiers. Today I'm going to be speaking with Rebecca Rogers about her new book, entitled A French Woman's Imperial Story, Madame Luce in 19th Century Algeria. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us for New Books and Biography today. I wonder if you could kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me on this uh, program. Uh, I'm an American who's spent most of her adult life in France, so that uh, uh, conditions a lot the way in which I, I think about history. Um, and I'm a specialist in uh, girls' education, 19th century for the most part, and I've been working on that subject for a long time now, almost 30 years. So when did you first encounter Madame Luce's story? Um, well, I've, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, I've been working on girls' education, and I've become increasingly interested in the ways in which uh, nuns in particular, but also some lay women, would moved into uh, areas outside of France, uh, the colonies, of course, but also England and the, and the United States. And so in my second book, uh, uh, which I titled uh, From the Salon to the Schoolroom, I uh, devoted a, a final chapter to this effort to sort of spread a, a model of girls' education outside of France. And it's in that context that I first uh, stumbled on the archives uh, at in, in X, where there's a very large dossier about, uh, about Madame Luce, who's established the first school for uh, Muslim girls in Algiers in 1845. And so she figures... In my se- in my second book, as one of a series of, of, of actresses uh, who wanted to offer girls in various geographic areas uh, lessons in French, but she was unusual. Uh, a because she was uh, a lay woman, and it's really mostly nuns who do this work because they've got uh, the, the the structure of the congregation behind them to allow them to. Uh, to set up risky educational uh, institutions, whereas Madame Luce was on her own. And that's one of the reasons why she was so present in the archives, because she uh, wanted the support of the French government in order to uh, allow her to to run this school for Muslim girls. Okay, so what sources were most helpful to you in your research? Well, this is a project that really started as an article, um, because I, uh, having having written a bit about her, I wrote about a paragraph or two in my in my second book. I thought this is really a woman who deserves a little more attention. And as a historian of education, it's also a very interesting uh, case because uh, she ends up getting a lot of uh, attention by the French administration who do support financially her institution, and so there are inspections, and so you can actually find out what's going on in the school. So I started thinking, okay, I'm going to do uh, an article that that allows us to see that women were active in the civilizing mission, as they say, in uh, in Algeria, and and look really at the at the um, uh, at the detail of the of the action that she was trying to do in the school, because I can see the the sorts of lessons she was giving. I can see the sorts of uh, prizes that she distributed. Uh, and so I started out doing that. Uh, and then 
serendipity in many ways. I uh, uh, I was spending a half a year in the United States, and uh, I gave a talk about her in uh, Madison, and somebody in the audience uh, uh, asked me a question about what happened in the 1860s when her school, in fact, is closed down and becomes uh, an embroidery workshop instead. And they said, so what's going on in terms of gender politics in Algeria in the 1860s? And I had to say I had no idea because, in fact, scholars hadn't looked at those sorts of questions. And so I went into the library. And in France, we don't have open stack libraries. But in the United States, there are open stack mm-hmm. libraries. And I just started looking at the, you know, the, the documents, uh, the books on uh, Algeria. And I bumped into a book. I was in sort of the travel section, travel writers on Algeria. And I thought, well, maybe that's a good way to think about, uh, you know, how did travelers talk about uh, relationships between men and women and in, the, in the 1860s? And then I saw a title... Mrs. Rogers' uh, uh, trip to uh, trip to Algiers in the in 1863, 1864, and I thought, well, she's just calling to me, Mrs. Rogers. <laughs> so I took down that book and I and I looked at the table of contents, and it's one of these very 19th century travel travel books with detailed descriptions of the sorts of the places she visited, and she's the sort of pious woman who goes to visit, you know, orphanages and and charitable activities. And I think, oh, she's perfect, you know, she's just the sort of woman I'm interested in. And then I find an entire chapter on uh, on Madame Luce in her book, and I was just I was just bowled away because I found out. All sorts of information about her, about her uh, childhood and and the circumstances that led to her being in, in Algiers, which I had had no idea. And then, relatively unusual for a travel source in the nineteenth century, she actually cited her source, and so I wow. found that that feminist had actually. Um, uh, written, profiled her in three uh, essays in the English Woman's Journal. And so mm-hmm. suddenly, thanks to this encounter with Mrs. Rogers, I had a whole other uh, strand that I could follow, which was the British interest in uh, uh, in, in this woman. And, and so that moved me to you know going going to London correspondences with uh, uh, with um, the archivists at Oxford College uh, where, where you have uh, British feminists uh, papers no- notably uh, Madame Barbara Bodichon's papers. Um. So this is quite a basic question, but who was Madame Luce? Okay, that's a that's a good question because she's not really uh, terribly well known. Um, she was very well known in the nineteenth mid nineteenth century in Algeria, but uh, this book is partly an effort to put her back into history. Uh, she was born in eighteen o four and um, grew up in a lower middle class family in the in the provinces. She opened a, a school for girls at a time when there are not a lot of school for girls in in France, and then. Um, for reasons that will always remain somewhat mysterious, uh, abandoned her husband, left her, her four-year-old daughter with her uh, family, and moved to Algeria in 1832, just at the moment when the French are 
you know, conquering Algeria. So she's there really in the, in the early years and emerges in the, in the colonial archives in uh, 1845 when she uh, starts pestering the, the government to support a school that she has founded for Muslim girls. And she'll run this school from 1845 to 1861. So a relatively uh, lengthy period of time, over a thousand girls attend the school during that time period. And then in 1861, the French government decides, um, and this is, of course, one of the crucial points in my book, uh, decides that they don't want to support uh, Arab girls learning French. They think this is, uh, in some ways, a dangerous uh, project, and instead they will they support uh, in, in lessons in sewing and embroidery. And so our institution becomes an embroidery workshop, which then will last until uh, just before uh, the World War One, carried on by her by her granddaughter. And so it's really the story of an, of an institution, a school and a workshop, uh, and the women who are behind this uh, institution uh, for a big chunk of time. <laughs> so had she been involved in education in France? How did she become interested in education? I mean, she had she did run a, a, a small school, um, but I think, and this is one of the arguments running through my book, is that she's very influenced by uh, the dominant rhetoric in Algeria when she arrives, which is uh, the rhetoric of the of the civilizing mission. So, of course, the French are doing horrible things in Algeria, but they're also defending their presence by saying they're opening schools, they're building hospitals, they're improving the infrastructure. And you have in Algeria the, 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 the civil servants as well as the military presence is heavily dominated by St. Simonians. And so St. Simonians are people who um, really believe that through technology, progress, education, um, you're going, you can build a better world. And, and so my hypothesis is that she may, in fact, have encountered the, the St. Simonian message before she left for, for France, because the St. Simonian message was very open to women uh, and and did speak about uh, uh, equality between the the sexes and though she um, you know she doesn't have a, a strong feminist message when she appears in the colonial archives what she is saying is that you have to include uh, women in the in the civilizing civilizing mission and so she is in a way appropriating uh, of the dominant male discourse at the time in order to push for this idea of, of, of educating girls now one can see her as sort of an opportunist uh, you know taking advantage of uh, of a uh, uh, of a moment in the in the French uh, uh, colonial uh, efforts in, in in Algeria, but I think I think she's pretty committed to education because you see that throughout her throughout her life and uh, and so even though she she does in fact uh, profit uh, monetarily from from running this school and, the, and this workshop. Uh, you can, you know, she really believes that you you can't uh, build a, a more egalitarian society by leaving out half of the half of the population, and so, uh, you know, she will consistently be 
arguing for the need to think about to women, to think about girls, um, that, that these girls should be able to, to learn French. And then when that becomes inaudible, uh, she then says that they really should be able to earn their own living. Um, so this is another basic question, but for readers, I mean, for listeners who may not know, um, where is Algeria and what was it like then? Okay. Um, so Algeria is in uh, northern uh, Africa. It's uh, the French had been colon- colonizers in the in the early modern period, but Algeria will be the really uh, important colony uh, for the French uh, in the 19th and then the 20th century. Uh, they begin colonizing in uh, in 18. 18- 1830 and and so uh and the years from 1830 really until the 1850s remain years of a considerable military struggle as the um, as the Algerians don't necessarily uh, welcome the French with uh, with open arms and that story of course has been told a great deal the violence of the of the conquest of Algeria and so my one of my goals in this uh, in this uh, book is to say that in fact women were present from the outset in Algeria it's not just just a military, uh, uh, a military occupation, but you have lots of women, nuns, nurses, you know, teachers like Madame Luce who are opening schools for the most part for Europeans. Um, so that her initiative is unusual because it is the only school for years that is uh, that is for mu- Muslim girls. Um, but that women are there. And then, of course, one of the things I didn't know at all when I began my work was the presence of the British. I mean, I just didn't know that, you know, there was a, a lively colony of uh, of Brits, including lots of feminists who, um, beginning in the 1850s and then in the 1860s, spent the winter in Algeria because the climate is uh, is far more agreeable than uh, than in Great Britain. Uh, but you also have, and this is one of the what lots of people are, have been emphasizing in recent work, it's a very cosmopolitan colony because it's, there's not just the French and there's not just the British, but there's also um, poor, uh, course, poor uh, Sicilians and, and the Maltese and Spaniards who are present as well. So it's a, it's a vibrant, uh, it's a very vibrant colony, which attracts a lot of cultural attention as well, because you've got the, the famous Orientalist painters who go to, to Algeria to, to paint pictures. So it's very much in people's um, uh, imaginaries in the, in the 19th century, uh, well beyond France, uh, uh, because it is a settler colony. So how shocking for was it for a French woman to be on, or just a woman in general, for, to be on her own in Algeria then? Because she had left her husband in France and moved over there. Oh, that's, um, I think that's one of the things that women's historians have shown is that uh, uh, Algeria attracts adventurous women. Um, and that you do see uh, quite a few women who are there uh, clearly as a way to escape the... The, the shackles of being a, a, a woman in France. The Napoleonic Code in uh, at the beginning of the of the nineteenth century it gives married women, you know, married women essentially have the status of children, um, and so she would have found an uh, an opportunity to have a a lot more space to uh, to do what she wanted in Algeria, especially having left behind her, her husband and her daughter. So there's neither issues of maternity or uh, uh, or having to uh, uh, 
you know, listen to what uh, her husband wanted her to wanted her to do. Um, and that's one of the things I discovered in the course of my uh, of my research is uh, thanks to the, the digitalization of uh, of birth and death certificates in Algeria. One day I was just sort of checking, and I discovered that she had an illegitimate child in 1835, uh, which I had absolutely no idea. And uh, then I discovered the illegitimate child died, and then and then. But she had never, she had not registered the child under her under her married name, but rather under the name uh, her, her name um, her her father's name. And uh, then she had another illegitimate child in the 1840s, which clearly shows what dem- demographic historians have shown have shown as well that uh, uh, women many many children were born out of wedlock in Algeria and that it was relatively accepted in uh, in these years in the 1830s and, and, and 1840s although it contributes of course to the image of women in Algeria as being sort of more loose and not particularly moral women um, you write that she sought to affect a moral transformation through the schools can you discuss this a bit more and also how her personal life had some impact upon that at times. Hmm. Um, well, so she's from the outset when she's when she's writing uh, to to get support for her schools. She's saying you're never going to be able to conquer a colony unless you get the women on board. So you have to convince the women that the presence of the French is uh, is a positive presence, and uh, and if you can get women to uh to to believe in that well within the families they will educate their their own children their husbands to accept the Fr- the, the french presence uh, now of course she's arguing as well that uh, the french presence is doing a lot of Bad things for Algerian society that it's in fact ruining local the local economy that one of the effects of the french presence is is uh, 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 a rise of prostitution amongst uh, amongst the, the Algerian population, and so that if you can get girls into these schools learning French, so that they will uh, be able to spread the the message of the French civilizing mission within their families, but also learning a useful trade in terms of of sewing and embroidery, um, that you will also be uh, resolving these the these moral issues uh, in which are. Partly the product of the of the of the French uh, of the of the French presence, um, and and this is this is important uh, in in her argument. Uh, it's important to the to the military uh, officials who ultimately uh, su- support her institution. But this argument is going to turn against her as well because uh, they discover uh, over the course of the uh, the sort of two years when she's. to support her school, that in fact she herself has not led such a blameless life and that uh, the man who is who, who she's living with, whom everyone had assumed was her husband, is in fact not her husband, that her husband um, is, you know, was left behind in France. And this comes out when the husband conveniently dies and she goes back to, to France to get uh, the, the money from the heritage because for reasons I will never be able to, to fathom, he had not sort of written her out of his uh, of his life, and so she comes back with uh, as a as um, as a widow uh, with money from uh, from her inheritance, uh, and it becomes clear that you know she has not 
been providing a, a good moral example because she's been living with a man who was not her her husband and so she very quickly remarries this this man to you know give the proper um, representation in, in 1861 that in the debates about uh, should we be teaching uh, Muslim girls French uh, uh, both uh, Muslim notables as well as uh, the as well as French administrators will say this is a woman with very equivocal morals um, that uh, you know upstanding families would never send their daughters to her school because she's always she's got this whiff of immorality about her that 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 lingers and that will then play against the existence of the school in 1861. So do we have any idea what the attitude of the men in charge, um, the prefects, for example, was toward her, aside from these accusations of her being immoral? Just in the everyday, how did they respond to her? Do we know that? Things I show I show in my book is that by looking at this woman, um, the 1860s, you see a real change in the cultural politics uh, with respect to, to women, and and in particular, what you see is that she loses support on the by the French because the French are concerned to rally uh, Algerian notables, and it's Algerian notable men that they're seeking to rally, and these uh, and these men are not at all crazy at the idea of the idea of having their daughters being educated in their school and they will in fact state very clearly uh, that uh, the girls who go to the school become concubines for Europeans or prostitutes and that you know no uh, no respectable family would send their daughter and and if uh, the French are somewhat skeptical about this argument they don't want to create waves in the 1860s and so they accept the idea that the girls will no longer learn French but instead they will learn a trade and will be less visible in the French civilizing mission. Which brings us to my next question because I really want to talk about the emphasis on needlework which was fascinating to me about you had the mentioning of the savings accounts and how she was trying to give them economic independence I thought that was really fascinating. Can you talk about that a bit? And that's something that I was really very interested in because, mm-hmm. uh, I, and that's where looking at the British feminist reaction was very useful to me because you see the the British women are impressed by the ways in which she offers uh, Algerian women a trade, and and so thanks to that British the look the the way in which the British women talk about her I became much more interested in the products that were that were produced and finding out more about that because of the big whole in my biography is being able to get the voices of the women that she that she educated i don't have those voices at all they haven't left um, you know, written traces. But what is what has uh, remained are the objects that they that they produced, and so that's what I what I what I explore in the in the final section of my book, where I really look at what I call the remains of the day, um, which is the the legacy this school left in in terms of um, art. I mean, in producing objects uh, which are. Um, which are considered part of a cultural patrimony. But then you also, of course, see the economic aspects of this. And, and here, uh, the British, uh, the Murray's Guide to Algeria uh, from the 1870s until the early 20th century all urge British tourists to go buy these products uh, at, the, at the school. And, and um, Madame Luce and then her granddaughter very much cater 
to what is becoming an emerging tourist industry within within Algeria. And I think that's a story that we really don't know very much uh, at all. Much more sort of naked women on postcards that uh, come to mind. Not little girls sitting at uh, hand looms uh, embroidering handkerchiefs, which are then going to be sold to uh, the, the British and American tourists, which are coming to who are coming to Algiers in those years. <laughs> um, and you mentioned her granddaughter. Towards the end of the book, you you have a kind of a rundown of other people's impressions of, of Madame Luce. Um, and one of the most fascinating to me was her granddaughter, who wrote, I think, in a memoir. Um, seem to imply that she wasn't an adventurer at all and she lived a very quiet, organized life, uh, which you say was because she was older and so her granddaughter had no idea um, of what she'd done before or the full extent of it. Um, How did those impressions of other people inform what you wrote or how you saw the story? Um, Well, um, what uh, all of those different um, ways of presenting her, I found just fascinating because this is my first venture into biography, and it. Uh, uh, I was really uh, very struck by how difficult it is to get any sort of coherent portrait, uh, especially of a woman uh, like this who's never left any sort of memoir or or much. I mean, I found four letters from her in the course of my uh, of my research, so we don't have. Uh, Everything we know about her is 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 via other people for the most for the most part. I mean, aside from those initial uh, documents in the colonial archives, um, and uh, the fact that she that I had read b- well before beginning this biography, the the memoirs of of actually her great daughter. Don- your source, and it's true that this great granddaughter has this picture of her of her great grandmother as uh, uh, she describes her as very bourgeois. Um, she's relatively fat at the end of her life, liking good food and wine. She leaves a lot of wine bottles behind when she when when she dies, um, and uh, and. And probably, you know, and that is the woman she knew. I mean, but she knew a woman who was in her was in her seventies and whose descriptions of her life in Algeria obviously left out the juicier morsels. I mean, she she's you know certainly Madame Luce uh, did not do- divulge the more private, intimate aspects of her of her uh, Algeria, notably the illegitimate children um, that she, that that she had as well. Uh, and I think, you know, by the 1870s and 1880s, the climate, the, the you know, the political climate in France had changed. Uh, certainly the political climate in Algeria had changed. And so, um, you know, what we see is, uh, is a young girl's m- memories of an, you know, uh, an older woman whom she admired a great deal, um, but whom she didn't see as somebody who was... Really, you certainly have described her as a, as a feminist, and I think that's you know that's really quite interesting, given um, given how unusual her uh, initiative was uh, when she first founded the school. So, what do you see as the legacy of the story of Madame Luce? I mean, I think on the on the one hand, it's uh, there's a sort of historiographic uh, issue, which is uh, to to tell. French historians of empire that you need to pay attention to the women who were present in uh, in 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 the in the colonization of Algeria in in particular that they were present but it's not just recognizing they were present but seeing that they were that they were actors um, 
producing uh, producing knowledge, uh, producing institutions, and that when we knowing more about them does change the story uh, we we have of the, of this colonization. And it, it not only does it introduce more more complexity, but it's a way of of understanding uh, different moments where colonial politics changes and taking seriously uh, the ways women contributed to, to, to these changes. Um, but I think there's a, another more contemporary uh, legacy, which is, you know, I was very struck when I started looking at, you know, what remains of, the, of this story. And uh, in particular, in the, in the ceremonies uh, celebrating the centennial of the conquest of Algeria, Madame Luce is mentioned, but she's no longer mentioned as a school teacher teaching uh, Algerian girls how to speak French. And in France, the relationship to the language is very, very intense. Uh, instead, she's presented as the grandmother of, uh, of Algerian art. Um, as a woman who taught girls how to how how to embroider, and I think that legacy um, is important because it it allows us to understand how girls' education drops off of the colonial agenda in many ways, with very long-lasting effects for uh, the edu- for the education of girls. And and I think for you know 20th century historians of Algeria. You, one needs to take that into into account to understand uh, why girls remain so systematically undereducated compared to compared to the boys, and then I think we really need to look more carefully at at all of these craft schools and professional schools that uh, in France we tend to um, not pay as much attention to because they're they're considered uh, more lowly because they're not teaching uh, what French culture so admires, which is the the, the French language. So I think it is a way of, of sort of, um, you know, questioning the ways in which we read, uh, we read the past and and uh, and the institutions that uh, uh, that that ultimately made a great deal of, uh, uh, you know, left a, left a legacy for the Algerians after after independence. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today about a French woman's imperial story and for your patience in a conversation plagued by technical difficulties. Um, do you have any idea who you'll be writing about next? Um, uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at, at women in, uh, in universal exhibitions because uh, that was one of the things that I encountered in this story as well as how Madame Luce seeks to make herself known through universal exhibitions of giving her, her institution visibility to uh, you know, all of the countries who attend the, the, these exhibitions. And that's made me uh, want to think more seriously about how women use those particular venues uh, to you know to claim an importance in the in the economies of their of their countries now I'm not sure who I might be working on but maybe a group of women as a result <laughs> I've been talking today with Rebecca Rogers about her book a French woman's Imperial story I'm Oline Eaton this is new books and biography thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>